I'm Holiday. I'm Taraday. I'm Independence Day. Oh, a microphony. And a phony at the mic. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> and now, on with the opera. Let joy be unconfined. Let there be dancing in the streets, drinking in the saloons, and necking in the parlor. Play, Don. Would you welcome Mr. Warm? Picture it. <laughs> Sicily, 1912. Hi, everybody. And welcome to another fun and exciting episode of Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0, where we cover all crime. I am, as always, your host on this venture, the great white snark, Scotty J. And joining me in our in our descent of madness is the lovely and twisted Monica. Hi. <laughs> and she's proud of it, too. Yep. I did, like, pull that one out of, you know. <laughs> like, oh, right. You just, you, like, uh. it's just like you sound like, I mean, I, I go to work at four in the morning. And I work at a book distribution warehouse now. So when and, and the best part about it is I get to work with my daughter. So we both walk in like looking like zombies in the morning. Hey, yeah. And you get those people. Hi, how are you? Good morning. Don't talk really? to me until I've drank my Coke. I would be like, just don't talk to me in general. Like, I don't need anything to like wake up. It's just like, that's too early to be. Like, oh, well, the, the thing is, is, I mean, basically what I do is I, I process books for libraries. So like, you know, like new books that come out. And the amazing thing is I don't, um, I haven't covered anything for New Jersey, but I've done Boston. I've done Boston. I've done, Sacramento, I've, I've done like Jefferson County, Colorado. So there's different accounts we have, but like the little tat, the oh, Jefferson County, yeah, that was yeah, that covers Columbine, right? I believe so. Yeah, right, yeah. Like, so um, another <laughs> right. I I need to get that book on Columbine. And every time I go to Barnes and Noble, I see the one on Sandy Hook, and all I can do is just think about Alex Jones getting fucking lectured on the stand. Hey, that was like I saw a little bit of that. That was just, he's such a mess. Anyway. It, well, I, I the one clip that I saw was like the judge telling, I guess the judge was talking to him, and she ordered him to look at her. When, uh-huh. when she was and he just looked like a little scolded kid up there on on the stand yeah i was watching i'm like i was like oh my god i think they actually could have found somebody that's worse than trump just watch and everything i was like this is just you know i i've tried looking to see if there's books on him and, and i haven't found anything yet probably not, yeah probably not yet it's still too soon right but anyway um yeah, you know, like in the library, those mylar covers that go over some of the books and like what else? Um, the property label. That's all that's what I do. So I get all day for 10 hours, I get to look at books. And I, I get to see what different libraries are ordering. So it's it's nice to see what like the 10 guys in Boston are are reading this week. So 
were they reading this week? <laughs> oh, what what the hell did they? Um, one of the books. Well, one of the books that they ordered was one that I ordered, and it was called um, "Teaching White Supremacy: How Like Just Something About How Our History Books Have Interpreted This Great White Hope Redeemer mm-hmm. Type Story." I ordered a copy because you know. You have no library near you. No, well, Saint Anne used to have a library, but it it closed like within a few months because I was the only one reading from it. And then, I just, hmm? I just thought like the Golden Girls and Rosen Island talk about the library there and Saint Olaf. Yeah, the, they like take the you know if there was a. I'm like totally screwing this up, but if there was a fire, they'd like you know grab like the, the one book, each book in, the, in, in each hand, and run like the Dickens. <laughs> <laughs> be like, and somebody like if they read all the book, you know, and it's like, oh, I'm totally messing it up. But it was, and, and the idea. Well, then the nearest night light, the other library, Kankakee, is like 15 miles away, but they wouldn't like because I don't live in the city, I got to pay like 60 bucks a year or 60 bucks every six months for a library card. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's just easier for me just to go buy the fucking book at Barnes and Noble and keep it. Yeah. Is it the, um, or the same County? Yeah. I'm in the same County. See, like with, well, the way Pennsylvania is and New Jersey, or at least like, most of, I'm sure, like, I know if they have in the county, you can borrow books from any of them, and they'll ship them to your library. Yeah. Without charge. Yeah. Or, and then also, even like the state, you have to put the request in, like on paper, or at least that was like not the old way. And then they would like send it out to other libraries in the states or to see. Hey, will anybody be willing to, you know, send us this copy and then we'll send it back to you with that? And same thing, new charge. Yeah, I, I've seen interlibrary loans. Yeah. And that's insane to me that even the same county. That right. I, what's funny is like I'm at the southern tip of Kankakee County. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm still in the county, but yeah, like I can go. um not even two minutes outside of my town, I'm and I'm in the next county. Uh-huh. All right. Oh, anyway, I'm just yeah, we I'm we annoyed about that now. No. <laughs> we I got a great state. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> All right. We uh we got a good one for you tonight, folks. Um th- this is one, this is a book that both Monica and I both read from that uh you know we both thought, I thought the book was interesting myself I don't know what you thought about it and it was like towards the end I started dead little like, right but I, I mean I I guess you know a, I uh it was one I was glad I just got it from the library right well it's sitting on my shelf so I I liked it. I thought it was a good book. 
Uh, we're going to talk about the Bloody Benders tonight, folks. Most of you are probably thinking of Bender the Robot from Futurama. Fight my shiny metal. <laughs> but no, uh, I guess you want to say they were like the first family of serial killers in America. Yeah, I think that was. Well, because there's been so many families of well, of right. serial killers too. You know, right? You know, the Manson, that's not a thing really. The, the Manson family you know. doesn't well. They didn't put themselves out there as actual blood relatives either. That right, but so. also we don't know if that was true or not. Well, that's what I'm saying, but yeah, that's but that's my point. The Benders were putting themselves out there as blood family. Also, don't know if it was or was not true. The Mansons never really put themselves out there as a blood family. No. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. But but they're all my children. I me. They're all mine. You know, I just thought about this the other day. We sh- we should we should actually do a show, and and I know someone would be happy on the Facebook page. But we we should just talk about my father for one episode. I'd have to get a little more education on that, but yeah, right. And it would be more of a benefit for you just to hear how messed up my father really is. Yeah. And how I didn't turn out like him. It'll be like have a competition between you and James on that one. <laughs> okay. I mean, probably would still would win that one though. But all right. Yeah, for the nut job area. So but anyway. Right. Okay, so all right, folks. In October of eighteen seventy, five families of spiritualists homesteaded in and around the township of Osage in northwestern Labette County, Kansas. Approximately seven miles northeast of where Cherryvale was established seven months later. One of the families was John Bender Sr. and John Bender Jr., who registered 160 acres of land located adjacent to the Great Osage Trail, which was then the only open road for traveling farther west. This will... This trail will fit into the story later. After a cabin, a barn with a corral, and a well were built, in the fall of 1871, the mother Elvira, and, and I'm I'm sorry, folks, but I, yeah, I it's keep... Elmira. It's like, I don't know, autocorrected. Yeah, right, Elmira. You, you, yeah, I don't know why, like, it because... Why it autocorrected? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of, about uh, the Oak Ridge Boys. Elvira. Yeah, and like, literally, like, it what the darn sorry about that sorry for the interruption but yeah it's, oh, that's fine I'm, yeah. I'm just thinking about the uh um papa mau mau oh uh, yeah uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> the, the one dude of the oak Ridge boys with the big ass long beard he could have filled in for zz top well, it took how, me a couple how, days how. to get through this so like yeah sorry that's okay my bad <laughs> elmira and their daughter Caterite. They divided the cabin into two rooms. The room in the back was used for living quarters, and the front room was used as a general store for people passing by. It included a small kitchen and a table where travelers could stop for a meal and or spend the night. 
Elmira and Kate also planted a two-acre vegetable garden and apple orchard to the north of the dwelling. Now, John Sr. was around 60 and spoke little English. And from the reports that the both of us read, it sounded like he spoke with a German accent. So most of what he did say was unintelligible most of the time. Now, Elmira also had not mastered the English language, which is typical for Kansas, but was also disliked by her neighbors that no one tended to get close enough to hear what she said. The few people who did nickname her She-Devil. Now, John Jr., supposedly the son of John and Elmira, was around 25 with auburn hair and a mustache. He spoke English fluently with a German accent. He tended to laugh for no reason, and for which the people in the area thought he would, thought of him as a halfwit. I like how you put halfwit there in quotes. Well, wasn't like Dave's from, like, you know, No, but I mean, small, but yeah, so. You know, and I mean, I, I could get that. You know, a guy breaks out laughing for no apparent reason. You're going to think he's slow. Oh, so that means. Yeah. Or, or touched in the head. Uh-huh. Or a member of my family. Yeah, so. But hey, you know. Now, Kate was the daughter. She was around 23 and, like John, spoke English fluently. She, however, did not have an accent. She put herself out there as a healer and a psychic. She would dis distribute or distribute flyers that included information about her supernatural powers to heal. She would also conduct seances and would lecture on spiritualism. Her popularity became a main draw for the Benders Inn. Kate and John Jr. would regularly attend Sunday school in Harmony Grove. That had to have been frightening. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, just the, the way that these, you know, the way that people reported how these two acted. Oh, yeah. That, that had it been freaky to see them in Sunday school. Yeah, probably like slid over. You know, kind of like, or like, you know, if they were telling the story about Cain and Abel, mm -hmm. and, you know, Cain, to this day, we still don't know what he used to kill his brother. Some say a rock. But, you know, if they were telling the story and he just starts breaking out in hysterics over the murder. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. You know, it, 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 stuff like that would definitely uh, be noticeable in, in that day and age. Yeah. Now, it was believed that the family came from Germany. However, no solid proof has ever been found as to their actual relationship to each other or birthplaces. According to newspapers of the time, Elmira was born Elmira Hill Mark in the Ar Ar oh, Adirondacks. Yeah, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss that one up. Uh -huh. Adirondacks. Yeah. She was married to Simon Mark who and claimed to have had 12 children. Is she, she competing with Mother Leeds there? The Mother Leeds had 13 and the 13th kid became the Jersey Devil. Supposedly. 
Well, right. I mean, you know, you're in Jersey Devil territory. Yeah, it's a little, a little more south. Still, all that stuff. Weird. Yeah, I mean, closer than you are. So, uh, right. I just got crazy rednecks. Yeah. Her next husband was William Stephen Griffith. Kate is supposed to have been Elmira's fifth daughter. Later, some of the people familiar with the Benders would claim that John Jr. and Kate were not brother and sister, but really husband and wife, and in Alabama, does it really matter? In May of 1871, the body of a man by the name of Jones was found in Drum Creek. His skull was crushed and his throat had been cut. At first, the owner of the Drum Creek claim was a suspect, but no legal action was taken against him. Then in February of 1872, two male bodies were found with the same injuries that had been on Jones' body. By 1873, there were reports of people who had gone missing that were passing through the same area that the bodies were found in that that trail had become one to avoid. In November of 1872, George Newton Longcore left Independence, Kansas with his infant daughter, Marianne, to begin a new life in Iowa. They were never seen alive again. In the spring of 1873, Dr. William Henry York, who had been a neighbor of theirs, decided to try and find them or what had happened to them. He would question homesteaders that he would come across in his travels. He was able to reach Fort Scott and on March 9th, left for his return trip to Independence. He too never arrived at his destination. Dr. York's two brothers, Ed and Colonel Alexander York, a Civil War veteran and a state senator of Kansas, called for a search of, for their brother since they knew of his plans to go looking for the long horse. Colonel York was in charge and led a team of about 50 men in the search. Every traveler they came across was questioned, and every homestead was visited, and the residents questioned. Colonel York, along with a Mr. Johnson, arrived at the Benders Inn on March 28, 1873. He questioned the Benders about his brother and if he had happened to stop by their land. They told Colonel York that he had, in fact, stayed there and suggested that possibly he had had some trouble with local Indians. He admitted that that was a possibility and stayed for dinner. On April 3rd, Colonel York returned to the Benders Inn after being told that a woman had escaped from the inn after Elmira had threatened her with knives. Kate and John Jr. denied the woman's claims against Elmira. After Elmira was told of the woman's accusations by Kate and John Jr., she flipped out, screaming that the woman was a witch that had cursed her coffee, not the coffee, and demanded that the men leave her home immediately. All of a sudden, Elmira became much better at speaking and understanding English. Oop, cover's blown. As Colonel York left, Kate asked for him to return alone the following Friday night. She would use her abilities to help him find out what had happened to his brother. Colonel York's companions and a family that lived close to Colonel York's companions and a family that lived close to the Benders, the Roaches, 
were absolutely sure the Benders were guilty of killing Dr. York and wanted to hang them right right away. Colonel York told them that they act that actual evidence would need to be found before that happened. Communities close to Osage began to accuse the people of Osage for the disappearance of travelers. In response to this, the leadership of Osage held a meeting at the Harmony Grove Schoolhouse. 75 people attended. Two of them were Colonel York and John Bender Jr. Oh, that had to have been so wrong. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, you know, if your family's accused of having people disappear and then you go to the meeting where they're talking about you. Yeah. Uh, pay no attention to John Bender. He's in the back. Yeah. <laughs> At the meeting, it was decided to obtain a warrant to search every single homestead between Big Hill Creek and Drum Creek. No exceptions were made. Colonel York had been harboring suspicions about the Benders regarding his brother's disappearance, but despite this, no one had been watching their land. Consequently, it wasn't realized that they themselves had disappeared for a couple of days after the meeting. Three days after the meeting at the schoolhouse, Billy Toll was driving cattle past the Benders' homestead when he realized that it appeared abandoned and that the animals unfed. See, this this was something that I noticed even when I did the um, the Man from the Train episode. Uh-huh. Is, is that in these farm communities, if they notice your animals haven't been fed in a couple of days, they will come check you out. Oh, yeah. Um, their cow ain't been fed, and her udder looks feel like it. she needs to be milked. I'm going to go check up on them. Mm-hmm. And that's what strikes me about, especially like in this early period, is like, if you don't take care of your animals and someone notices it, they're going to come investigate and, oh, guess what? You're found out, folks. So, I see Billy told. He reported this to the Osage trustee, but because of bad weather, this wasn't investigated for another several days. Yeah. There was the weather had to have been like really, really. uh, Considering Kansas is on the plains, yeah, you can get a, a really good thunderstorm come through. And just keep you in, keep you locked in for days. I yeah. when I when I lived in Oklahoma, I went through a couple of wicked thunderstorms down there, and of course, what did I do? I sat on the front porch of my friend's uh, house, spouting uh, Lieutenant Dan's lines from uh, Forrest Gump when he was up there in the uh, in the crow's nest. Hey. You call this a storm? Is that mm-hmm. the best you got? I'm standing right here. Yeah. Sitting out in a lawn chair on the front porch with a Coke in my hand, quoting Lieutenant Dan. That's the highlight. Real fun place to live. Oh, that that one thunderstorm, man. We had a lightning bolt strike. um, Well, strike like a transformer behind the house. Uh-huh. Yeah, without power for it then. Um, actually, not too long. I thought it was kind of cool. 
Now, the trustee made a call for volunteers to help with the investigation, and several hundred people turned out to help. When they arrived at the Benders, they found that the cabin had been cleared of food, clothing, and other personal possessions. A foul odor in the cabin was traced to a trap door located underneath in a bed, and it was nailed shut as well. After the trap door was opened, a hidden room that was six feet deep and seven feet square at the top by three feet square at the bottom was discovered. And the floor of the room was clotted blood. The stone slab floor was broken up, but new bodies were found underneath. It was determined that the smell was from the blood that had soaked into the soil. It was also mm. determined, yeah, that the cabin would have to be physically moved in order to efficiently dig underneath it. And again, no bodies were found. The volunteers then got a metal rod and poked around the grounds of the homestead, focusing on the disturbed soil of the vegetable garden and orchard that Elmira and Kate had planted. Dr. York was finally located there that evening. He had been buried face down with his feet just below the ground surface. The search continued until midnight and nine other suspected burial sites were marked for further digging. The next morning, eight bodies were located in seven of the nine marked possible burial sites. One of the bodies was found in the well, along with various body parts. Everybody, except for one, had skull fractures and throats that had been cut with a knife. Other suspected grave sites were marked before the men were satisfied. They had found them all and retired for the night. And I already told them. <sighs> okay. Give a huge pause, so I'll have to cut that one out. Oh, not a problem. I'm sorry. Oh, I tried. Okay, we'll start. This is like I'll start again. I mean, from okay. okay so now the body of a young girl, presumed to be Marianne Longcore, was found with no injuries that would have caused her death. It was presumed that she was either buried alive or had been strangled. A newspaper in Kansas reported that after the gruesome findings that a friend of the benders by the name of Brockman was hanged from a beam in the cabin until he lost consciousness, revived, interrogated on what he possibly knew, and then hanged by the beam again. This yep. is Kent Brockman, Channel 6 News. Yep. This process was repeated until after the third hanging, he was released and allowed to return home. A Roman Catholic prayer book was found in the house with notes inside written in German, which were later translated. The text read, Johann Bender, born July 30th, 1848. John Gebhardt came to America on July 1st, 18... We have no fucking clue. Big Slaughter Day, Jan 8th, and Hell Departed. The news of the murders traveled quickly, and soon more than 3,000 people had made their way to Osage to see the cabin and land themselves. Reporters from New York and Chicago even traveled in order to be able to write first-hand articles. The cabin was quickly destroyed, but not before souvenir hunters took every piece of it they could. A Kansas state senator, Alexander York, if you remember the brother of Dr. and Colonel York, offered $1,000 for the arrest of the offenders. 
$22,619 in today's money. On May 17th, the governor, Thomas A. Osborne, also made a separate reward for the apprehension of the vendors to the tune of $2,000 or $45,239 today. It is suggested that when a guest was at the inn, he would have been given the seat of honor at the dining table, which just happened to be located over the trap door. While the victim's back was to the curtain separating the two rooms, Key would distract the man while John Sr. or John Jr. came from behind and struck the victim on the right side of the head with a hammer. After that, Elmira or Kate would then cut his throat from the cut his throat from the front. Only then would the body be dropped into the empty room below. One or more of the vendors would strip the body of its clothing and check for anything of even a little value. Most of their victims were not wealthy and would not have been obvious. These were simple thrill killings, not killings for profit. The body would then be removed from the room to be buried in the garden or orchard. There were a few people who did survive a meeting with the vendors, and it is from their testimony that we have an idea of how the murders played out. William Pickering stated that he told Kate that he did not want to sit near the cloth divider because of the stains that were on it. And I don't really want to know what type of stains were on that cloth. It was blood. Oh, as long as you can convince me it was blood, I'm fine. Uh-huh. But yeah, it was blood. Okay. I don't want to think it was anything else. In response to that, Kate threatened him with a knife and he fled from the cabin in his own response. A Catholic priest said that he had seen one of the Bendermen attempting to conceal a large hammer from his view, which made him nervous and he quickly took his leave. If you can get a Catholic priest to leave from free food aid, more power to you. Two other men traveled to the cabin to have Kate Bender tell their fortune and they decided to stay for dinner with the family. However, they decided to eat with the family at the table instead of choosing to eat at the shop counter. No, they declined to eat. Oh, they, sorry. Yeah, I did. I didn't screw that part up. (laughs) No, I did. So they declined to eat. And Kate became verbally abusive towards them for this choice, and the Bender men came from behind the dividing cloth at this time. They also felt uncomfortable and decided that they weren't hungry enough to continue their visit. Good, good, good idea. Before the cabin was destroyed, more than a dozen bullet holes were found in the roof and sides of the cabin. It was speculated that this was possibly caused by victims that were able to attempt a meager fight back after being hit in the head with a hammer. A couple of months after the discovery of the bodies, Addison Roach and his son-in-law, William Buxton, were arrested as accessories to the murders. In total, 12 men of bad repute in general would be arrested, including Brockman. They all had been involved one way or another in disposing of the victim's stolen property with Mitt Cherry, who had, ironically enough, been a member of the Vigilance Committee. They were implicated for forging a letter from one of the victims. 
in which he was letting his wife know that he had arrived safely at his Illinois destination. Brockman would be arrested 23 years later for the rape and murder of his 18-year-old daughter. So just in case you felt sorry for him for being hanged three times. Detectives found wagon tracks that fortunately led to the Bender's wagon, which had been abandoned. Their horses were with the wagon and they were starving and a mare was lean. They were located just outside, outside the town of Thayer, 12 miles north of the cabin. Further investigation confirmed that the Benders had purchased tickets on the Leavenworth, Lawrence, and Galveston Railroad with a destination of Humboldt. At Chanute, John Jr. and Kate left the train and continued their travels on the Missouri Kansas Texas Railway train south to the terminus in Red River County near Denison, Texas. After leaving there, they went to an outlaw colony that was in the region between Texas and New Mexico. Which is probably still there today. Yeah. Lawmen did not pursue them any further than that, however, since lawmen who traveled into this area of the country quite often were never heard from again themselves. That did not stop other vigilantes from attempting to locate the benders, ah, to locate the benders though. There were rumors of one group having caught the benders, shooting John Sr., John Jr., and Elmira to death. Kate was left to be burned alive. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yet another group claimed they had caught them, lynched them, and threw their bodies into the Verdigris River. And another group said the Benders had been killed in a gunfight with them, and they had buried their bodies on the prairie. Now, one of the groups thought to bring proof of their identity and deaths while making their claims, but also no group ever tried to make a claim on the money rewards. So it was more just for... Right. It sounds more like they were like camp camp, uh, fire stories. Exactly. The legend of the bloody bender spread and hunts for the family continued for the next 50 years or so. During that same time period, if two women were traveling alone together, more often than not, they were accused of being Elmira and Kate Bender. And in case you folks are wondering, here is a list of the known victims of the Benders. May 1871, Mr. Jones, his body was found in Drum Creek with the crushed skull and throat cut. Was that one found by two boys who were going fishing? Yeah. Okay. I thought that was the one that the, the two little, the two 10 year olds had found fishing. Yeah, which, it, which, you know, if we've learned anything from true crime podcasts, don't go fishing. Don't go jogging. Don't go jogging. Don't go hunting. Somebody or be a victim. So, <laughs> right. If, if you go jogging, you're either going to be a victim or you're going to find a victim. Yeah. Um, don't go fishing, don't go jogging, don't go hunting in the woods because you're going to find a body. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just certain things you don't do in the woods. Yeah, think of any other. Can't think of anything right now. Right, but those are like the top three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Basically, now, don't exercise. <laughs> the right. Become fat. They can't take you, they can't kidnap you fast enough if yeah. you're fat uh-huh so you know and i'm not sure about you but i grew up during the era of the uh 
president's physical fitness test. Oh, yeah, that thing. Uh-huh. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was two fat guys in my class. One was my cousin, Terry, and one was my friend, Ed. And we know damn sure no one was kidnapping them. <laughs> so. Because, you know, they, they, they were they were perfect, perfect mm-hmm. size. Nobody was getting them. Now, some of the cheerleaders in my class, potential victims. Victims two and three were done in were killed in February of 1872. Two unidentified men found on the prairie in February of 1872 with, guess what, crushed skulls and throats cut. December 4th, 1872, Ben Brown became victim number four. He was from Howard County, Kansas. Um, $2,600 was missing off of him. He was buried in the apple orchard. December 1872, victim number five, W.F. McCrotty. Company D, 123rd Illinois Infantry, $38 and a wagon with a team of horses missing. December 1872, Henry McKenzie. He was relocating to Independence from Hamilton County, Indiana. $36 was missing and a matched team of horses were missing. December 7th, December 1872, Johnny Boyle from Howard County, Kansas. $10, a a pacing mare and an $850 saddle was missing. He was found in the Bender's well. Eight victims, eight and nine, December 1872. George Newton Loncourt and his 18. Oh, oh, yeah, this was the little girl, Marianne. Poor child. George Newton Loncourt and his daughter, Marianne. Contemporary newspaper reported his name as either George W. Loncourt or George Launcher. While Marianne is similarly reported as being either eight years old or 18 months old. After the death of his infant son, Robert from pneumonia, in May of 1871, and his 21-year-old wife, Mary Jane, following the birth of Mary Ann several months later, George was likely returning to the home of his parents, Anthony and Mary Mary Loncourt, in Lee County, Iowa. In preparation for his return to Iowa, George had purchased a team of horses from his neighbor, Dr. William Henry York, who later went looking for George and was also murdered. Both were Civil War veterans. $1,900 was missing. No injuries were found on her body, and she was fully clothed, including mittens and hood. Both were buried together in the apple orchard. When I read this, this broke me. Yeah, that one. Yeah, You know, no matter what, anybody who murders murders a kid is is the lowest form of life form there is. Oh, I I bounced my script up. Hold on. Okay, here we go. December 10th, 1872, John Greary. He was buried in the apple orchard. Again, in December of 1872, Red Smith. 
not to be confused with Red Foreman, he was buried in the apple orchard. April of 1872, Abigail Roberts buried in the apple orchard. December of 1872 seems to be a busy month. Because all the these last bodies were all done, well, from 10 to, from 10, victim 10 through 19 were all in the apple orchard in December of 1872. So that was a busy month. December of 1872, again, various body parts. The parts did not belong to any other victims found and are believed to belong to at least three additional victims. December again. During the search, the bodies of four unidentified males are found in Drum Creek and the surrounding area. All four had crushed skulls and throats cut. One may have been Jack Bogart, whose horse was purchased from a friend of the Benders after he went missing in 1872. Say, I'm messing with you, sweetheart. In May of 1873, Dr. William York, $2,000, was missing. And he was buried in the apple orchard. Now, when the included body parts that could not be matched to a person, it is possible that there were more than 20 victims. All the bodies except for Mackenzie, York, the Longcores, and McCrady were un went unclaimed. They were buried at the base of a small hill one mile northeast of the orchard. Mackenzie and York were buried in Independence, the Long Corps in Montgomery County, and McCrotty, because that's such an awesome name, in Parsons, Kansas. The benders left behind in the cabin three hammers, a shoe hammer, a claw hammer, and a sledgehammer that looked to, that looked to match indentations in some of the skulls of the victims. These hammers were donated to the Bender Museum in 1967 by the family of Leroy Dick, the Osage Township trustee who led the search of the Bender homestead. The hammers were on display at the museum in Cherryville, Kansas from 1967 to 1978 when the site was acquired for a fire station. When attempts were made to relocate the museum, it became a point of controversy some locals objecting to the town being only known for the Bender murders. The artifacts were eventually given to the Cherryville Historical Museum, where they remain in a well-mounted well display case. A knife with a four-inch tapered blade was reportedly found hidden in a mantle clock in the Bender house by Colonel York. In 1923, it was donated to the Kansas Museum of History by York's wife, but it is not on display. Oh, I would love to go to the museum and get access to the archives. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, most times I want to go to the archives, to, you know, to look at paper, you know, primary sources and stuff to for a paper. But no, I want to go see this knife. Damn it! Still bearing reddish brown stains on the blade, it can be seen upon. Yes, it can be seen upon request. Road trip. The historical marker describing the Bender's crimes is located in the rest area at the junction of U.S. Route 400 and U.S. Route 169 north of Cherryvale. And that, folks, is the story of the bloody Bender's. Now, one. 
other little piece of information here, which um, I think you left out on um, on purpose, Monica, was the, the connection with uh, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Oh, yeah, because that's more. It, it's like more that her daughter made that up. Oh, Rose. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Just keep. And then the other part, the whole like the trial, like the other, it was like so confusing and well, right. And the fact that it wasn't really them. So I was like, you know what? Just cut that out. Right. But I mean, the fact that I think, um, oh shit. Hello. I think didn't the, the connection with Laura Ingalls Wilder, didn't she put it in one of her books? Or didn't she say yeah, something like her, her, the, the problem, I, I think what it was, was I think she had made mention in one of her books. I don't know if it's true or not, but we just revealed that it's not that her father went looking or joined in the search. But historically, at the time that they went looking for it in Kansas, that the search was supposed to be going on. They, the Ingalls weren't even in Kansas at the time. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I was like, you know, I'm just not going to. Put, yeah. Well, I, I had uh, I've been to the I've been to her home in uh, Mansfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Amanda and I went there, stopped by there when we went to um, Branson, Missouri, for a weekend. Yeah, the hillbilly Vegas. Uh-huh. Hey, I tried to get kicked. Kicked out, kicked out of a timeshare meeting. Okay. Okay. But you know, it it was her home's nice. I mean, we were basically given a private tour because we were the only two there that day. Oh, so. And I hadn't been there since I was a. I was probably ten when my grandma took me there. So just to see like the changes at like the museum and everything was nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, you could buy Laura's books there. And it, it, the one artifact that I enjoyed seeing was Pa's Fiddle. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah, because I mean, those of you who might remember watching Little House on the Prairie, you know, occasionally um, Michael Landon, who played Pa Ingalls. Mm-hmm. would break out his fiddle and play. Well, that that's an actual historical truth. Pa Ingalls did have a fiddle and he did play and it it's on display. And I'm like, oh, but I think there's a sign there that said like once a year, they take it out and play it just to make sure that it, it still oh, yeah. is, is tuned and working. Yeah. Like just, j- just to, touch that thing you know mm-hmm. now there i mean might as well do this now because you know the the last time i brought this up we we had audio problems but i've always had a theory about little house on the prairie yes <laughs> you know you watch the show and it seems like in every episode you know pa's making his his uh his crops and you know he's always talking about how much he's going to make off the crop and 
how much you know he can um how much he's going to make and what they're going to pay off and everything and every time it happens a storm comes through and destroys the crop yep but pa's always well the lord's striking back at me for my hubris no you're living on the fucking prairie in 1870 storms happen yeah so i always thought you know to me it would have made a better story of like you know one day pa just grabs his gun and goes i'm you know carolyn i'm gonna go out and go out and do some hunting and he walks out to the barn and blows his brains out and that's the end of the show (laughs) then ma could have got hooked up with um mr ingles not mr ingles mr edwards yeah, see, I never watched the show. I never read the books. I tried to read the books when I was in um, in grade school because we had actually there is one more book to the series that um, we were you, they, you, you I think you can order it from uh, from the museum there in Mansfield, but we found one more book that was written. Well, we didn't find it. Uh, the, the museum staff had found like some journals and stuff that she kept of like trips that her and El- Almanzo took had taken in their later years. And they turned that into a book. So it's like the last book or two of the of the whole saga. And we found it. And since Amanda had the set, um, we're like, you might as well just finish the damn set with these books, you know. Yeah, so I was Nancy Drew. Yeah. yeah, I tried to read the Hardy Boys. I couldn't get into them, mm-hmm. but I I loved Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, shows you my taste in detectives. I, I couldn't do um couldn't do the Hardy Boys, but I could do Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, well, I could only then it's the the older Nancy Drews, like the, right? The paperback ones that they had. Right, like the yellow spine ones. That's what I read. I need to make a book order here soon. Like I, I need more books. I just bought four new ones today that are going to sit on the shelf until I get around to reading them. They have got, yeah, well, the ones from the library get and then, you know, read then bring back so it works for everybody i guess wrap it up (laughs) right all right folks we're gonna wrap up our show today uh if you're looking for us spotify best place to find us until i can get things situated and get us up on apple i'm I'm working on it trust me I'm, i'm working on it so for Killers, Cults, and Nutjobs 2.0. I am Scotty J. Say good night, Monica. Good night, Monica.